9 o'clock. Let's see, are we on now? Let's see, I've got it on. Where's my, where's my girl? Oh, there she is. Let's see. Are we on now, ma'am? Can you hear? Good, good. Well, when we have such a packed house, I want to make sure everybody can hear. I think this is mostly for the recording. So, glad that you guys are here. We were not sure if we'd show up with anybody tonight at 9 o'clock. Um, and you guys have come. And so, I'm excited about the things we're going to share. Uh, I hope you've gotten the motivation from the last the rest of the week. I mean, how can you go to something like we just went without wanting to bust through a wall? But so I want to I just give you a lot of practical things. I'm probably going to do it a little bit different than I even expected. In the booklet is, is what, what I call some different um, shapes for breakthrough. I'm just trying to give some practical things to help us spiritually visualize some things that help us grow. Uh, for instance, the one we went over last night that is the most important to me is the page that says the learning circle, okay? It talks about having a, a Kairos moment. Someone who was here last night, um, we're just doing a class tonight. Someone explained to me sort of how this, what is a Kairos moment and how does that work? We'll explain those to the people who weren't here, then we'll get into some new things tonight. Yes. In the Greek words, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So I really appreciated how you were uh, giving just three examples, I believe, of your Kairos moment. And last night was a Kairos moment for me. Oh, thank God. That's, that's beautiful. I called it a bright class. <laughs> 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 that's, boy, we're, we're about to go in a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And, and some of you weren't here. That's, that's a great tool, and she described it perfectly. And it's not that complicated, really, as much as just pausing to ask yourself some questions, to engage with other people, to come up with a plan of action. So you don't just, because of our problem, just flying through life. And so we talked about that. Now tonight, flip back a page to the relational balance. We'll hit that one just, just quickly. You know, if, if you want to know somebody's heart to me, one of the, the groundbreaking things to me has been to pray with somebody. Um, Kevin Linderman was our missionary to Tanzania for years, and when he'd come back, we'd normally go to lunch and, and pray together. And when you pray with somebody, you really hear their heart. You hear what, you know, sometimes I pray with people, and I think, I didn't know you felt that way. You know, you see a depth to their relationship with God. You see what they really care about and who they really care about. And in John 17 is, is Jesus' like farewell prayer. And in that prayer, and we won't look at it in detail tonight, but really he prays about three relationships for all of us before he leaves. He says, first of all, I want them to have this up relationship with you, God. He says, I want to, them to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. 
And, and the word know in the Bible is an incredible word there. I mean, it's the same word that's used Old, Old Testament, Adam knew Eve, okay? Everybody looks down now. Uh, it, it's about the most intimate relationship you can have. And God says, I want you to have that relationship with me. I don't want you just to know about me. I want you to know me. A lot of what we talked about last night was about that up relationship of listening to God, of slowing down and, you know, that pendulum swing we talked about in one of those other shapes. And, and then you go around that triangle and then you have the end. You know, Jesus prayed about his disciples loving each other the way he had loved them. And basically he said, this is how the world's going to know that you're my disciples, by the way you love each other. And, and how many times is our testimony destroyed because we don't treat each other well? And so that relationship in the end is extremely important. And then Jesus also prayed that the people would know him, the world would know him through his disciples. That yes, he had left them in the world. But he used a phrase he also uses later in John. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And so what, what we, in this little uh, triangle, the idea is to meet with a group of people and say, how am I doing on these three relationships, okay? What kind of relational balance do I have? How's my relationship with God? How's my relationship within the body of Christ? And how's my relationship with lost people? And so if you, if you sort of look at the arrows that go around the circle, it seems to me it's a, you know, sometimes we all talk about a vicious cycle. I would call this a victorious cycle, Okay. Because when you have this relationship with God and you're loved by God in a way that no one could love you, that equips you to love the people in the body. You see, our standard is to treat each other, to accept one another as Christ has accepted us, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us, love one another as Christ has loved us. So His love equips us to love each other. And then, according to John 17, the amazing love that we have that's so different than the world, the way we forgive each other and treat each other, it attracts people on the outside. And then we have that open door. I love, you know, the scripture says, make the gospel attractive. And the most attractive thing about the gospel is that we have relationships that are unlike anybody else's. Because we've known, we've learned about forgiveness. I talked to you last night about the group that's coming to Montgomery Monday night from that AME church in Charleston, South Carolina, where the white supremacists came in. And the world was just blown away by the kind of love that they had for each other. And the world has to acknowledge that. And what the world has to say is the only thing that can empower them to do that is Jesus Christ. And so it makes the gospel attractive. And so, and then normally when I launch out to share my faith, I don't know about you, but I get insecure. And so then it leads me back to the up because I've got to rely on God. And so there's up, in, and out. And so most of us are stronger in one or two of these than the other, Okay. And most of us are weak in one. And let me just say, are, are you stronger in your relationship with God? And that just comes natural to you. You love being in a room by yourself all alone with God. You can do that all day long. So that's the natural part. Some of you, man, you love to come to church. You love to be in a small group. You love to just sit out here and fellowship forever. And you connect better with people. And sometimes it's hard for you to connect with God because you just want to be with people. And, and then some of us, you know, you know, you've just been getting that evangelistic heart and you're like, why are we sitting around here talking to each other? We need to get out and we need to share our faith. We need to tell somebody. So just to add a survey, how many would say your weaker of the three is your relationship with God? Raise your hand. Okay. Who would say it's with people? Who would say it's with the lost? 
Probably most of us, I think. I, I thought that's what it was. Now, who would say your strongest relationship is up? Who would say your strongest relationship is in, in the body? Okay, that's normally about 50-50. And so what we have to do, guys, is we have to learn to focus on some of those that maybe we're not so strong on. But this is just a simple tool. You know, I, I use this with my discipleship group just to go, okay, let, let's, take a, let's take a gut check today. Where are we in these three relationships? And, and where do you need some help? So turn to the middle pages, and I'm going to give you uh, two of these shapes that will help with the in and the out. And uh, these are the major two I want to talk about tonight. And on the left side is the in, and these are the building blocks of encouragement. You know, I love Hebrews 3.13 that says we are to encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today. Does anybody remember why the writer of Hebrews says we need to encourage each other every day? So you don't do what? So you don't fall into sin. I, I, I always am sort of surprised at that. Encourage one another daily so that none of you are deceived by the power of sin. You know, when I think about overcoming sin, that's normally not my first advice to somebody, is you need to get in an encouraging relationship. But what, what he's saying here, guys, is if we learn to build each other up and we learn to encourage each other, if when we leave church on Sundays, we are so built up, I'm going to be so much less vulnerable to go out and to be tempted because I'm built up. And yet so many of us, it seems to me that we're chintzy with our encouragement. You know, we, we, we're not quick to give a compliment. We're not quick to say, I love that. We're not quick to say, man, that comment you made in Bible class was so penetrating to me. You know, the way, you know, I saw you treat your mother. I mean, we, we, we don't say those things. Let me ask that question just for a minute before we get into this. Why sometimes do we hold back with encouragement? When we see good things in each other, and yet we sort of hold back and don't say it. Okay, we're afraid... So, so many of us go, oh, no, and we, we discount it, okay? What, why else? Yes? Yeah. I always, in fact, let me say, I always hate it when someone comes up to you and says, I just want to tell you about, now, I don't want you to get the big head, okay? <laughs> but I want to tell you, man, I really love that message. Well, you know, guys, there's enough junk in our lives that most of us aren't getting the big head. There's a lot of negative things going on, a lot of challenges, a lot of things Satan throws at you. So, so guys, what, what, what the writer of Hebrews says is every day, and that's a pretty stiff, stiff commandment, every day we're to encourage each other. And then, you know, in that famous verse in Hebrews chapter 10 that we've always used to say you need to go to church and not forsake the assembly, which is a good application of it, the big application there is not you need to go to church, but what he's really saying is when you go to church, you better encourage and spur each other on. That's why you go there, is because we need to huddle together so that when we go out, we're so strong that we can face the world that really is a, a battleground. So I want to give you, we'll start at the bottom. How do you become a great encourager? And this is, this is very simple, but I think can be very life-changing. First of all, you've just got to decide. I'm going to encourage. You know, before you walk in a room, I'm going to look for those good things. I think as a culture, we have, we have been taught to look for the negative. I mean, who would want to run for political office today? You know, you got seven news channels, 24 hours a day, scrutinizing everything you've said. If, if some of you are into sports, you listen to sports radio. I mean, how much of it is positive, how much is negative? We're, we are good at tearing each other down. And so it's become natural to think my job 
I've got a man at church who actually thinks his spiritual gift is criticism, okay? <laughs> I think that's not on the list, man. That is just not there. But, but we've decided it's my job, everything I go to and everybody I'm around, to walk away and critique. We all do it. And yet, what would it do to the body of Christ in our relationships with each other if we just decided that this is not optional? I think we basically look at encouragement as optional. Maybe I feel about like it today. Maybe I don't feel like it, you know. Somebody's got to knock it out of the park for me to say something positive. Guys, this is not optional. It's commanded. This is not a suggestion from God. It's a command of God. And so, first of all, you just got to decide. Now, the, the second one is to look and listen. So often I don't encourage because I'm so self-absorbed, I'm not looking at what's going on in your life. I'm so busy waiting on your reaction that, that I don't see what you've done. And so great encouragers watch people and listen to people. And you're not watching to critique. You're watching to find the good thing. Many of you in here are parents or have been parents. You know, the best way to parent is not to see the bad things. Those, those moments come. The greatest thing is when you see the good things and you point those out. So when the negative moments come, you can do them. I love uh, thinking about you when you walked in saying you, you worked at UCLA. I just finished a biography of John Wooden. And uh, John Wooden was, you all know, the famous basketball coach. Probably nobody will ever break his NCAA, you know, basketball, you know, championships. And, you know, he, he was, had a very calm demeanor on the sidelines. Held a program his whole coaching career. Every game before the game, he would look up and pat his chest and look at his wife. And just, I learned so many fascinating things. But one time a reporter was noticing how completely different he coached than most coaches that were constantly screaming at their players. And so the reporter said, Coach Wooden, how do you keep your players so motivated? Now, I love his answer. I try to catch them doing the right thing. Is that not powerful? If we would catch each other doing the right thing, we'd go a whole lot further than trying to catch each other on the negative things. So be looking, you know, with your family. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, I mean, with your spouse. I mean, the most awesome thing about being married is you have someone who, who still loves you, though they know the very worst about you. But often we play off that worst. And so, so you know, and the thing about Christian marriage is we know they're going to stay with us. And so then we can still say those awful things. That's awful, isn't it? How about if you made it your goal to give your spouse two compliments a day? Just, just you're looking because there's so many good things to see. You go to church and you're going to do that. You know, something I see in, uh, you know, Older generations in our churches are the greatest encouragers. Some of our younger generations are not learning it. And guys, some of us need to, to take them under our wings and say, hey, I want to help you become a great encourager. Decide to be it. Look and listen to what people are doing. Include people. Some of the best encouragement actually is nonverbal. It's just that you notice somebody. You walk in a room like this and you notice that someone's sitting by themselves and you sit with them. You, you, you ask somebody out for lunch after church. I've done a survey with every church I've ever worked for. When did you finally feel a part of this church? What was the moment you went, this is family, this is home? Number one answer is when I went to somebody's house and ate a meal. 
Like one of my elder's wife says, there's something miraculous that happens when you put your feet under somebody's table. Now, that's a dying thing, guys. Do you know that? It doesn't happen much. That's one reason I love small groups so much, because that sort of forces us to have people in our homes, because that's when people start feeling apart. We can be very outwardly friendly in a large assembly like this of four or 500 people, excuse me, or, <laughs> please encourage me, um, or, or, you know, we can, we can get those intimate moments, those close moments where, where we include somebody. And then the next letter, as we keep on building, is, is, is just use a lot of uplifting words. I mean, just learn to say those things that, that can make somebody's day. You know, the thing about encouragement that really bothers me is it's so easy, it costs no money, it doesn't take much time. And you, you could walk in a room like this and you could make somebody's day. You know? I mean, listen, you have made my day. And I'm so much more motivated speaking because you said, I've been thinking about what you said all, all day. That didn't take you long. But my goodness, I can endure this crowd. I mean, I bet that, that is awesome. And so, guys, if we would learn to use that gift, I mean, the story of Abraham Lincoln is after he was assassinated, you know, um, I mean, you know, we, we think of Abraham Lincoln as being the greatest president ever. In his day, he was reviled. And people were very surprised that he won re-election because so many people are so critical of him. But in his coat pocket, after his assassination, they found these little newspaper clippings where they'd actually said something good about him. And he carried those around with him. And most of us, you know, somewhere in the recess of our mind, we carry those clippings around because those words you just never forget. I can remember words people said to me, 40 years ago. You know Marie Sanders. I was 19 years old, sophomore at the University of Alabama. A church in town was looking for a youth minister. Three of us in the campus ministry interviewed for it. The other two were seniors. I was, I just turned in my sophomore year. I'm in that old office classroom and I see Marie Sanders. She said, I hear you've interviewed for that job. I said, yes. And I said, you know, I'm, I, I don't think I'll get it. Um, I mean, these other guys are a lot more mature and older than me, she said, come on, buddy. There's no doubt you're going to get the job. I got it. And I never forget that she said that. You know, you, you remember those words, don't you? You know, my best friend in Pensacola is an 86-year-old man named T.C. Barnes. He was just the most amazing guy. He just was the, he was the personality of that church. You ever been to church and there's just one, one person? And, and he was just very outspoken and First time I, I went down there, I was actually interviewing for the job, and my friend Matt Elliott was the youth minister, and Matt had been having surgery. And so I had gone by to see Matt before I went for the interview, and I'm, I'm talking to him, and this little bowling ball of a man walks in, T.C. Barnes. I'd never met the guy. And I said, my name's Buddy Bell. He said, I'm T.C. Barnes. This is the only thing he said to me. Young man, if you turn this job down, it'll be the stupidest thing you've ever done in your life. I'm like, who, Matt, who is this guy? We became my best friend. And every Tuesday, we would go to the Umbrella of Mandarin to eat. Now, one day he said, you'd like to go somewhere else? I found out it really wasn't a question, okay? We were going to the Aroma of Mandarin every day. And we would go there. And sometime in the middle of that meal, he would reach his hand across, and he would grab my arm, and he would say, buddy, I've been here for decades, and you're the best preacher 
we've ever had. Now, I later found out he told every preacher that. But <laughs> in the moment, I can't even tell that without tears in my eyes. You know, I mean, and, and he was such a, so when he did those things, he was such an encourager. I mean, I moved from being a campus minister, and, and I was really lonely. It was a big, big church, but I was so lonely. Because I was so used to being around students all day long. And this 80-year-old man is the only one who noticed it. And he called me one day. He said, buddy, I know this has been a hard transition for you. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call you every day and check on you. And for five and a half years, he called me every day and checked on me. Now, it wasn't all roses. One Sunday, I was young enough and dumb enough at that time. I was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And so I did a sermon on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And I was really worried what T.C. was going to think because I said things that were not quite the traditional viewpoint. And so he, he came by the door, and I was so thrilled when he said, young man, that was fantabulous. That was his word for something was good. I thought, oh, I passed. Well, I was at the office later that Sunday afternoon. The phone rang, and I answered. It was T.C. And he goes, did you say what I heard you said? Uh, I said, well, yeah, this is what I said. That's the most asinine thing I've ever heard in my life. I said, T.C., I've gone from fantabulous to asinine in three hours. How is that possible? And so, you know, but you take it from him because he built you up. And so when we begin just to use a lot of uplifting words, guys, when the moment comes for that hard conversation, you can have it. The place you're going to be offended is when the person who's never said anything to you walks in and it scrutinizes you. So uplifting word. And the last one there is to be positive. And boy, that's something we've all got to work on. We, we, just, we just need to learn to see the best. We're trained to see the worst. I also can tell you a good story about that from um, Pensacola. There was a, a man in the church there that um, every Sunday after service, he'd be in the lobby complaining. I mean, he just, he just hated everything that happened. And, you know, I'd been there three or four years, and everybody knew that Robert just hated everything. And so um, one Sunday, I finally got my courage up. It was after church. And I, I cornered him in the lobby, and this is what a preacher's not supposed to do, Roger. And I said, Robert, I'm not trying to be ugly here. I'm glad you're here. But why do you stay? I mean, just why do you stay? You don't like anything that goes on in this church. You haven't liked it for 20 years. I will never forget his answer. He said, buddy, the church is like a battery. Every battery has a positive post and a negative post. And I am the negative post in this church. No words had ever been more true. My friends, we don't need more negative posts, all right? We need people that are positive. And so, so let's just start. You're going to decide that you're going to be an encourager. You're going to watch people and listen to people looking for the good thing. You're going to include people that are being left out. The question I ask my kids every day when I drop them off to school is, will you look for somebody in your class who's not being included and reach out to them? We all know how that feels. Include somebody. Use a lot of uplifting words. And just be positive. Because if you listen to any lesson we've said here, this one's so, so practical and so easy. Yes, sir. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it does. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, again, and just think, it was one sentence. Any other comments here about encouragement or is there an idea, sir? Expected, yeah. Yeah. So you use Philippians four eight as sort of the basis and even the vocabulary. I've written that down. That under uplifting words, that would be the perfect example. I mean, let me let me just read that passage real quick because you, uh, you've heard it. He's he's almost used every word. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So those are words we don't use a lot. And how much? Yes. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone said this once, and I, I've forgotten to say this tonight. The best encouragers are people who notice a good quality in you that you have not noticed in yourself and pointed out. That that that's you know a lot of times people, man, you're this, you're that, and it's the same thing every. But it's when someone says, you know, I noticed this small little thing about the way you did this that. That's really admirable. That, that, uh, so notice something good in someone they don't notice in themselves and point it out. Kelly? Yeah. Right. Yeah, good point. not like you're losing. 
Well, I've never thought about people thinking about that way. And see, that's sad because there's infinite amount. Really. Mm. Good basis. Any, any other comments about this, this one? I love this. is one of my favorites. So... Yes, yes. Right. Let's just go back to our, our first passage here. Encourage one another every day, and like, it, like that didn't mean enough, he says, as long as it's called today, so that none of you are deceived by sin. Just amazing if every day we did that. Okay, let's go to the other page, and let's talk about this area that most of us said was, was pretty difficult. And I want to read this passage from Luke chapter 10, and um, it's, it's the way that Jesus told his disciples to approach people when he sent them out. And there's, there's a key term here that's called the person of peace, and uh, I just learned about that about a year or two ago, and that's really come to help me, and I'll tell some stories about that, and we'll work on that together. Uh, look at Luke 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him in every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among the wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who's a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter town or are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has, has come near to you. So, right in the middle of this, Jesus talks about this person in this house. Now, the word here for home here is, is, is broader than we normally think of, you know, a husband, a wife, and two or three kids. It, it, it's sort of a community. It's an extended family. So Jesus says when you're going, you, you go looking for that person, that person who's going to receive you, and even that person who's going to give to you. And, and you can see the definition there. Who's a person of peace? Someone who receives us in their life and responds even to our needs. In other words, a person of peace not only wants to hang out with us, they also somehow want to help us. So let's, let's walk around, what's this, an octagon? And let's, let's talk about these different parts. Start on the right side. Jesus, first of all, says, if you're going to share your faith, you've got to pray about it. There's a great harvest out there. There's not enough workers. Pray for workers. The cool thing about it is when you pray for workers, you, are, you offer yourself. I think one of the most neglected evangelistic tools we have is prayer. And I don't think there's a bolder evangelist in the New Testament than the Apostle Paul. And yet Paul will write churches and say, I want you to pray that I will be bold in sharing my faith. I'll say this. There's never been a point in my life where I was praying for God to put some lost person in my path that he didn't. Now, there have been parts where I didn't have, that I wasn't praying. 
But if I was consistently praying, you know, before you walk in that store, Lord, put somebody in my path. Before you walk in church, before you walk in that, that community center, before you walk down your neighborhood, Lord, just be asking. Because I, I think too often, guys, we feel like, and this is why we're so uncomfortable with evangelism, is we think it's something, we don't even use the word anymore, is because it, it's something I've got to do all of it. And, and, and even worse than that, I do it to somebody. Now, like Rebecca Pippert wrote years ago, evangelism is the one thing that Christians and non-Christians are both afraid of. We're afraid to do it, and they're afraid for us to do it to them, okay? If you look on the back side of this um, booklet, there's a little, little simple thing there that, that might help you with this, and that's about red apples and green apples. Red apples represent people who are ripe for the harvest. Jesus gave very little time to green apples. He focused on the red. Too often, I decide, you know, I've just got to go share this with anybody out there. Well, no, pray about it first. And then Jesus said, it's your posture, the way you approach people, that makes a difference. You're coming in humbly. That, that's the part of them even serving you. You're coming to them saying, it's not me that's got it. I don't even have all the answers. We're here to learn and to share together. And then you look for those pockets of people that's why Jesus is saying, I want you to go find that home. And once you found that place where the person or the persons of peace are, you stay there. I think so often I get so intimidated by the Great Commission because I think I've got to go to the whole world. And so I go to nobody. And so Jesus says here, you go to that person who's open. You find that pocket where you hang out. Now, I'm a minister. Roger, you understand this. I don't get to hang around a lot of lost people. Almost everybody I hang out with is Christians, unfortunately. And so I've had to find a pocket. My pocket is my local gym. And, and, and I go four or five times a week if I can, you know, and I engage people and I talk to people there. And, and that's just become the place where, where I'm, able, I'm able to reach out. And... Um, yeah, I want you to be thinking right now while I'm talking about this is, is what is your pocket? I mean, if you, if you go to a certain coffee shop, it's a good practice to go to the same coffee shop every, every time because you're going to meet people. You know, maybe it's, um, maybe it's a local business that you go to. Maybe you're in school. Maybe it's one of the most neglected areas that Jesus told us we needed to share in is our neighborhoods. Okay? So be thinking, and I'd like to brainstorm, but, but I had this happen a, a few years ago. In a while, there was, a, there was a, a young man, he's in college, who had gone to high school with my kids. His name was Franklin. And um, I'd tried to be friendly with him when I walked into Y, but I could tell he didn't. You, know, you can always tell when someone doesn't talk, and I knew he wasn't the person of peace then. And so I learned to sort of leave him alone. You know, you, you know when somebody's got their earbuds in, and they take them out, and they look at you like, what are you doing interrupting me? See, I like to talk more than work out. They don't understand that. So I, I knew Franklin. So you know, I'd just been friendly to him. So a couple years later, one day I'm in the Y, and he says, um, Mr. Buddy, can you talk to me? And I said, sure, Franklin. He takes me aside, and he says, um, I need you to pray for me. He said, um, i got a real alcohol problem. I'm just drinking all the time. I'm in this fraternity, this local university, and my life's out of control. And my brother, who's a strong Christian, I know his brother, wanting to speak to me. I just prayed with him. So I said, okay, Franklin, I said, can we get together next week for lunch? So we, we got together. We just, you know, I, I just knew the, the, the dude's open. And so 
we're, we're talking there, and he tells me that now he tells me what's really going on. He got a D, DUI. He's about to go to court. So I said, well, when are you going to court? He said, well, next Friday, 9 o'clock. I said, okay. So next Friday, 9 o'clock, I go to downtown Montgomery, and I walk into court. Only people there is his mom and dad. And when the judge calls him up, Franklin said, Mr. Buddy, will you come up here with me? And so we went through that together. And, and friends, it wasn't a month later he was baptized. It just, it's just being present there, you know, and being available. Not forcing it on somebody. That's what Jesus said. Don't go force it on the house that doesn't want you. Wipe your feet off. Go on. Don't keep trying to pick the green apples. Pick the red apples. So let me ask you guys, what are your pockets? Where, where's the place that it's going to be your place to be able to, to go to consistently and be praying that God would open doors? Am I thinking one? Kelly, what's yours? You know, you, you minister in your neighborhood in a beautiful way. Well, you keep trying. I can't tell you how long it took me before I met Franklin. Yeah. That's awesome. There's some great books out right now about neighboring. And that, that, that say basically when Jesus said, love your neighbor, he actually meant your neighbor. And, and to really, really go. And that, you know, we as churches are going all over town trying to do things. When sometimes what we need to do is just all of us plant ourselves in our neighborhood. You know, after I preached through that, it really convicted me. My wife is really good about it because when we walk in the neighborhood, she talks to everybody, and she gets in these long conversations. It drives me nuts, and I'm just trying to move on. When I get out of my car, I'm, I'm straight, and so I, it finally hit me. She's right. I'm wrong. You know, I, I need to slow down. That's the place I can meet people. Somebody, neighborhood, gym, name the other place. Where's your place? Dog walking. That's got to Good, good. Dog, never heard that one. Dog walking. That's good. Others? Coaching soccer. Coaching so- oh, man. Youth sports. Almost the best. Yeah. That's good. Be looking. And, and, and this is what I encourage you to do. Try to define what the best pocket is for you. So you're not so discouraged because you go, man, look at this whole city. Lost people. And I can't even reach one. Well, no, no. You go to the pocket where you're accepted. Or someone even, I'll tell you a story in a minute about that. Um, so the next point, so you, you start praying, you, you go in with a, a humble posture, looking for people who accept you. You're, you're looking for the pocket. And then, then Jesus talks about power. And so as you get to know people, you know, one of the easiest thing to do is to pray for people. And it, it, it's like, okay, let, let me just tell this, this story. because this is, this is really firing me up right now. Um, we were having Easter, like most churches, a few years ago. And Easter's a big invitation day for us in the church. Right? We normally have eight, 900 people. We had 1,300 people in Easter. 
So um, I, I just had made my mind up. I, I couldn't encourage the church to do what I was. So I was just inviting people left and right. Well, about two months ago on Saturday, I go to a different Y because my Y in my neighborhood closes early and I want to go to it, so I go to another Y. And about a, two months before this Saturday, before Easter, I'd, I'd um, gone to that Y and I'd met two young men that were just very engaging and very, they both were seniors in high school. Both were just very engaging. You know, I could tell, you know, I asked them if I could pray for them. They'd tell me what to pray about. And so, but I hadn't seen them in two months. And so that Saturday before Easter, I'm riding to that gym and, and, I, I, and I prayed. I prayed that I would see Tyler and I prayed that I would see Grant. And I walked in and there they were. And so I, I got in com- great conversations with both of them, especially with Grant. And so me and Grant are talking, man, and he's just, um, he sort of opens up that, uh, you know, he used to be real close to God. Actually, he used to even think about being a missionary. He's a real good athlete, really, really strong, you can tell in the gym. And uh, about a year and a half ago, he'd been, play- been playing football, and he broke his hand and couldn't play, and he blamed God. He said, I've been, I've been mad at God ever since. And so we, we just got into this, this great, great conversation. And... Um, so, um, you know, it, it was really good. And before I left the gym, this one I knew he was a person of peace. He said, um, would you start working out with me? <laughs> I thought, oh, God, you are going to kill me. But yes, I will. And so I've worked out with him about three times now. And I've never been so pushed in the gym. It's awesome. But I can almost stay up with the kid. It's sort of embarrassing for him. But it, it's, um, it, it, and, and so he meant he, I mean, I'm just pushing like I never have. He's in my face just screaming. Do it, do it, one more set. One, you know, so he's written, but I thought, that's who I'm looking for. He also wants to help. So when he said that to me, I said, okay, Grant, we got a deal. You're going to help me physically, and I'm going to help you spiritually. He said, okay. So he texts me every once in a while and said, can, can we meet at the gym? And so we met twice, and both times I asked him if we can pray afterwards. And both times he's not willing to pray yet. But last time we prayed, this past Monday, he said, um, next time I'm praying. And I said, I told him, I said, Grant, I said, this is so crazy. Um, I prayed about you being in the gym the day we met. And he said, buddy, I think you're an answer to my prayer because I was praying to God about the way I used to feel about him and how I need to be different. And then last time we were talking, he's like, could I come to church with you? He said, I go with my parents, but I don't really like it. Can, can I start constant? I said, your parents can be okay with that? Well, sure. I'm like, come on, man. So I'm hoping that after tomorrow that he's going to be there. But this is such a great young man. And yet I, I, it's helped me because he's that person of peace. And now I've been praying for him. And he texted me while I was out here this week and said, because he had prayed, he, he'd asked me, I asked him the last prayer request. I said, what do you want me to pray for you? He said, I'm a senior in high school. Pray I don't do anything stupid. He said, all of my friends are doing stupid stuff right now. And so he texted me yesterday and said, I can tell you're praying for me. My friends were about to do something crazy, and I went home and washed my car. And I knew it was because you were praying for me. Well, that's, that's what happens when we begin to pray and we begin to share power. And so the next step I want with Grant is to have a chance to proclaim the gospel. And so... Just take this little thing, and, and uh, with my guys in my discipleship group, this has become a really great term. And it, the first time I heard someone say it, I just didn't like person of peace. That just sounded so weird to me. And I thought, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> it, didn't, it is. And so start looking. Instead of 
beating your head against brick walls, trying to pick green apples, just pray about it because God's going to open the doors. Look for that person of peace in that pocket where you go consistently and let God start working. Any questions or comments about that? That's been, that's, that's been a really good one for me. Now, one more shape I'm pointing. We're, we're about to, I'm about to let you go. On, on the back page is a red heart, and, and, and to me, uh, and I think we've seen this this week, and so I'm, I'm not going to have to comment on this, but the greatest breakthrough is brokenness. I mean, we see, we've seen that. The passage that Jerry was quoting tonight, uh, Psalm 51, you know, a broken and contrite heart David says, that's what's worship to you, okay? And he goes, this is the one we don't like. But, but when God breaks you, he breaks you to remake you. And, and, and for most of us, the greatest spiritual breakthroughs happen in our life in that moment where we're just completely broken. Now, let me just say this. God can break you in, in, in different ways. He may break you through a trial. You know, you just go through a terrible ordeal with cancer or with your children or with the church. It may be like with King David. He may break you through a temptation. I mean, David in Psalms 51 is completely broken. That's why he's so different than Saul. He's broken, and God can remake him. God may break you through just the truth. You know, that, that's the best way to be broken is to be in the Word of God in, in, in the truth of God to be so convicting to you, maybe even something you heard this week at, at, at Harbor, something so convicting that you just go, oh my goodness, I, like I said last night, i got to repent. That's why that, that, I, I would prefer truth over trials and temptation, but that's not. And, and, and let's just be real frank here as we close out. If God doesn't break you, if you don't allow God to break you in one of those three ways, He's going to break you in the end. Philippians chapter 2 says, every knee shall bow. The trial will break you if nothing else breaks you. So it's not if you're going to be broken, it's when you're going to be broken. And the question when you're broken is how are you going to respond to it. And what I've got here, and you can notice this, is this is just a list on this heart of the Beatitudes. And a, a Kairos moment for me was when I read a writer once years ago who said the Beatitudes are not disjointed individual cute statements to put on a plaque. They're the pathway of spiritual growth. You know, and if I preached on anything more in Scripture than anything else, it's probably these Beatitudes. Because these Beatitudes tell me how God uses brokenness. And you, you can see, you start in brokenness, someone who's poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt, mourning. They've turned meek. They're, that, 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 the word meek there is not weak. It's about power under control. It's about being moldable. So in your brokenness, you become moldable. And then out of that, you have this desire. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then out of the brokenness, out of the desire, then you begin to change. You start becoming like Jesus. You are merciful. You're pure in heart. You actually become the peacemaker that Jerry talked about tonight. And so I would challenge you as we close out here tonight is, is to look at the Beatitudes as the pathway of spiritual growth. Because if you keep down this pathway, when you become the peacemaker, people start treating you like Jesus. In the long run, you start being persecuted, which leads you back to the brokenness and back down this. So understand, use all of these tools. I hope they're helpful to you. But the one I want to leave you with. And so if you came to, um, to Pepperdine, 
and you're in a broken place in your life, that's not a bad place to be. Spiritually, it might be the very best place you've ever been. Because that's normally when God can change us. Is when we finally get to that point, we go, you know what, God, I'm flat on my back, and the only way I can look is up. And God, I am completely out of answers. I don't have any answers, but you do. And I'm just going to throw myself on your grace. So I hope this little booklet will help you. I hope um, these shapes are something you can take home with you and, and share. See, some of them are going to resonate with you better than others. If, if some of them you, um, we didn't get to that you'd like to get to or you didn't hear some of last night, I did a, a sermon series um, probably starting the second week of February back at Landmark. It'll be on our website, landmarkchurch.net, that goes through these breakthrough shapes. It'll go, go in more detail. So let me, let me pray. Father, I, I just thank you so much, God, for just that great example of encouragement that I received tonight. And I thank you for the encouragement of the people that are in this room, Lord, because we really didn't know if anybody would show up at 9 o'clock when everything's over. We just had an incredible climax. So thank you. And God, I pray God. sometimes when I come to lectures like this, I get so motivated. And uh, yet I need some practical tools to take home with me. And so one of my goals when I'm asked to teach a class is to always, Father, to find something that somebody could take home with them because that's not only what I need. And so I, I pray that, God, this little booklet and these, these what almost seem like silly shapes, God, could, could become a part of our lives and our vocabulary, God, that, that we will be looking in our busy, hectic life for those Kairos moments. That is, it, when we go into that place over and over, we're trying to gauge if someone is the person of peace we're praying about it before we even walk in the room. God, we're, we're using this language of Philippians 4.8 to compliment people. So Lord, I just pray, God, that as we walk out of here, that every one of us has something to take home with us and to immediately apply. Because it's so easy to go off this mountain so fired up and so quickly forget what we've learned and just go back to our normal routine and be our normal people. So God, what I'm praying for in the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit is that you'll give every one of us a spiritual breakthrough. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, thanks for being here.